Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Really excited about this one. Jay Billis, ESPN College Basketball Analyst. You may have heard of him. Going to be joining us coming up in a bit. He was live in New York City, Madison Square Garden, watching that game. KU, Michigan State. Want to get his thoughts on KU, what he saw early, the growth that we've seen from Ochai, and kind of what he expects the rest of the college basketball season to look like. So, really excited for that one. I have been working on my Mount Rushmore of bald basketball slash sports figures he's on it don't know if that joke will make it into the interview there's probably about a five percent success rate there so that one may end up hitting the editing room floor we'll see jay's gonna join us coming up in a bit can't wait for that one we're gonna do something that i've never done before probably won't do again at least this season we're gonna start with some KU football discussion. KU beats Texas in overtime. It was the game of the weekend. It was KU's first road conference win since 2008. I'm sure you've heard that stat regurgitated over and over again this week, but I do think it's worth mentioning again just how ridiculous that number is. It's an awesome story all around. The star of the show, I just filmed an Applebee's commercial earlier this week. Jared Casey catches the game-winning two-point conversion. First, I believe, offensive snap of his career Listed as a fullback, lined up as a tight end, uh, made a play that he's going to remember the rest of his life. Walk-on from Western Kansas. Shout out Plainville. Check out the bonus episode, by the way. We're going to have a breakdown of the best Western Kansas towns. I think the Quinter episode is going to be up first. Then we'll have Joaquini after that. I actually have a, a childhood neighbor who was the mayor of Gove, I think, when he was 18. So... I'll get our booker on that and see if we can maybe nail him down. We've got a lot of those to get to. Jalen Daniels started part-time last year at quarterback, really struggled. He comes in, gets the start at quarterback, and he just balls out. Three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. He was doing the media rounds earlier this week. I think it was uh, the Rich Eisen Show who had him on. They do a a Gorilla Glue Player of the Week each year, an NIL thing. Uh, Awesome to see for him. It's just a great story all around. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. After having covered this team in some professional format for uh, about eight years, confession, I have not been locked into Kansas football this year. In fact, I wasn't even watching the game on Saturday. I was actually at my buddy's wedding. Open bar got the best of me and wasn't really paying attention to the score. Shout out to my buddy Troy and his wife Sarah, by the way, who apparently are not locked into Kansas football either this season. And You probably didn't come here for the Kansas football takes anyway, which is why I'm going to leave it at this. I have no clue what that win over Texas means for Kansas football. I saw Kansas beat Texas back in 2016. 
I was at that game. It was awesome. That was the second year of the David Beatty era. They went 0-12 under David Beatty in year one. He was 1-21 at Kansas coming into that Texas game. It was in Lawrence. But his only win at that point through almost two seasons at the helm for KU was against Road Freaking Island. And honestly, I don't even know if that counts as a win. It's a, they're a non-major team. I'm telling you right now, though, when KU beat Texas, it felt like a big win because it was. It felt like more than just an upset. It felt like it was the turning of a tide that maybe this was the beginning of some sort of turnaround for this program that fans had been desperately waiting for ever since the end of the Mangino era in 2009. In short, spoiler alert, if you haven't been paying attention, it wasn't. That was not the beginning of anything big. Beatty went 4-21 and after that at Kansas over two-plus seasons and was shown the door. So I don't want to make the mistake of saying what this game means again. Because I know a lot of people are doing that this week. It feels bigger. It feels like it means something. I thought that win back in 2016 meant something, but it didn't. So I say all of that just to say this. That win feels like it meant something. Not that this team is all of a sudden really good. Not that this team is even a little good. There's enough data already this year to suggest that there is still a serious talent deficiency to overcome. What does feel different, though, is the man in charge. Now, I don't know Lance Leipold. Never spoke to him. I've been in the same room with him one time, and that was at his introductory press conference earlier this summer. But I didn't know Les Miles either, or David Beatty, or Charlie Weiss. But I do know people in and around the program, and just like I did when those guys were in charge. And you know what I've heard from them about Lance Leipold? Nothing. Not a zip. Not a word. And that was never the case over the previous decade. Under those other coaches, there were constant stories. I mean, I would hear stories on an almost weekly basis, and their anecdotes and stories that you, you almost couldn't comprehend about how these guys were in over their heads. They weren't respected by their assistants or their players. And in a lot, in a lot of cases, they were too arrogant or they lacked the self-awareness to even recognize what was happening in front of them. It was bad hire after bad hire. And each one complained about the hole they found themselves in upon their arrival in Lawrence. And then they proceeded to dig the hole a little bit deeper. That's not what's happening here. Now you've got a guy in charge who's done this before. Buffalo was a joke of a football program before Leipold arrived. And he found a way. And I don't know if he's going to find a way in Kansas. I don't know if that win in Austin was anything more than that 1-100 in performance where the stars aligned and you pulled off the improbable. What I do know is that he seems to know what he's doing. His assistants respect him. His players want to play for him. And that may not seem like much. It may seem like the bare minimum for a college football coach. But at Kansas, it's a start. And based off where we've seen this program exist for the past 13 years, that's all you can ask for. So in conclusion... Uh, if we're going to do a quick power ranking of the KU coaches since Mangino, got to go Leipold number one. Uh, I think we'll actually put in Turner Gill at two. He was just in over his head, but he didn't really bury the program. Les Miles at number three. I know that's controversial with the way things ended, but he did mostly recruit high school players, so at the very least, the scholarship problems aren't there. Um, and this is, where the, this is where it gets really hard to discern number four and number five. 
But as of the time of this recording, I got to go with Charlie Weiss, number four, brought on the Juco Super Teams. He buried the team. And then I got to go David Beatty at number five, only because he complained about the hole he found himself that Weiss dug him and then proceeded to do the exact same things that Charlie Weiss did, only to screw up the guy that came after him. So Leipold Gill, Miles Weiss, Beatty, that's one through five. That list is subject to change. All right, I want to talk some hoops before we bring Jay Billis on. I don't want to make every episode of this podcast about Ochai, and I promise you I won't. But this dude has been ridiculous to start the season. 29 versus Michigan State to open the year. 25 versus Tarleton in Game 2. By the time you're listening to this, they may have already played against Stony Brook, so I just want to throw this disclaimer out there now. Regardless of what happens versus the Seawolves, by the way, there's a fun fact you can use at the water cooler today, It's not going to change this new reality for Ochai. He's not just having a hot start to the season. He's a different player. And he may not be a 20-plus point-per-game scorer this year, but uh, actually, yeah, he might be. Because this is not the same dude we saw the last three years. If you would have told me that Ochai was going to go for 25-plus in each of the first two games, I would have said, okay, wow, he must have just got red hot from three. He's 6 for 13 from 3 through two games. That's not an unimpressive clip. But what's more impressive is what he's done scoring inside. 46%. Nearly half of Ochai's shot attempts through two games have come at the rim. He played in 83 games in his career before this season. He'd never had more than eight two-point attempts in a game. He had 11 of them versus Michigan State and he had nine of them versus Tarleton. There has clearly been an emphasis by him of getting inside and scoring at the rim, and it makes sense for somebody who's built the way he's built. But I don't know what conversations he had with NBA teams when he went to the combine and was working out, but I imagine they went something like this. Hey, man, love your jumper. We can tell you've really been working on it, but what else you got? Because if Ochai wants to be a legitimate NBA prospect, you know, first-round pick, guaranteed contract, all that, He has to become more than a one-trick pony. There's a lot of guys who can knock down open jumpers and jump really high. He's one of them. A lot of those guys make good money playing basketball in Europe. But that's not the goal for Ochai, nor should it be. Like those conversations, right? You want to make it in the league? Show us you can go get your own. Show us you can put the ball in the deck and create your own shot. Show us you can run the point a little bit. Show us you can score without just knocking down open jumpers. Ochai is showing all of that right now. I don't want to make this about, will this be his team? Because honestly, I don't know. Historically speaking, under Bill Self, it's more of a rarity than an expectation when one guy sort of puts the team on his back and carries them all season. And quite frankly, I think this team is just too talented for that to be the case with Ochai this year. I still think Remy is going to be one of the key cogs on this team. I don't think we've seen the best from him. Dave is still going to get his touches, and he's going to have the game where those silly turnaround baby hooks fall despite how ridiculous they are. And we haven't even seen Jalen Wilson yet, who could very easily lead this team in scoring. All of those guys are more than capable of being the guy on any given night. And they're all going to be made better by the fact that defense has got a game plan for all of them. That's what makes Kansas dangerous, and that's what makes them one of the best teams in the country. That's how Gonzaga was built last year with Drew Timmy and Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert. It's how Baylor was built last year with Jared Butler and Macy Oteague and Davion Mitchell. And I don't know if Kansas is going to be 
that level of dominant. I think that's really hard to replicate. Last year was a bit of a rarity, but they've got the pieces in place. You know what really helps teams in March? You know what oftentimes correlates to success in the NCAA tournament? Year after year, you look at teams who make it to the Final Four and you see future NBA players. There were questions the past couple of years about just how legit of an NBA prospect Ochai was. He's had the athleticism. He's had the length. He's developed the jumper. But there was always something missing. But it ain't missing anymore. 6'5", freakish athlete who can shoot, dribble, and drive. Yeah, that'll play. And Kansas would have been a really, really good team with everything else held equal. Plus the same version of Ochai we saw last year, which was really good. But this, this what we're seeing right here, this is a new Ochai. And if he's here to stay, Kansas may have gone from being a really, really good team to a title favorite. All right, awesome guest this week. You know him, Jay Billis. He is a college basketball analyst for ESPN. And I don't think I'm overstepping here. He is the most respected voice in college basketball. I've had a chance to talk to him a few times over the years. It is always a privilege. I'm excited to share it with you now. Here is my interview with Jay Billis. Jay, these early season games are always funny. If your team plays well, you say this is great. This is exactly how you needed to start the season off, maybe foreshadowing for how the rest of the year is going to go. If your team plays poorly, you say, hey, just one game. It's early. Nobody's going to be talking about these games come March and April when the games actually do matter. You've been front and center for all of these Champions Classic games. You were front and center for KU Michigan State last week. What types of things are you looking for in these early season games in terms of, okay, maybe I'm going to jot this down for later. Maybe this is something that uh, could end up mattering down the stretch. Well, I mean, first, the game doesn't matter uh, in the regard you're saying. I mean, you can you can play poorly and lose and still win a national championship. You could play really well and win and, and lose in the first round. So uh, it, it's just a data point. I mean, but when you're when you look at teams, um, you know if you've been around the game a while, you can get a pretty good feeling for how good they are and, and can be, and you can get a, a pretty good view as to whether they have a, a certain ceiling. You know, it's not it's not this positive of the issue, but um, you know, I mean, I think in any sport you can take a look at a, at the raw materials of a team and go, hey man, these guys can be really good, or you can go, well, yeah, you know, they're they're, they're not as good as I thought. Um, that happens a lot. Uh, but you know, I think it's a good, those are good games to play one because the players want to play them. Um, you know, I mean, 20 years from now, none of the Kansas players are going to talk about the games they played against directional schools. They're going to talk about the big games they played. And I think coaches prefer it. They just don't, you know, no coaches like to lose. Uh, and clearly the fans and television and all that prefer it. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar business. We want to see the big shots play the big shots. So they're, they're good events. What stood out to you uh, watching Kansas in that game versus Michigan State? That they have a chance to be really good. I mean, uh, Ochai Abaji is, uh, is legit. Um, he's matured into, I think, what most observers expected from him uh, during his career, but weren't sure we were going to see because everybody thought he was going to leave after last year. So he's kind of what you, you hope for in, a, in an upperclassman. Um, you know, he plays with maturity, he's athletic, he's strong, he's added to his game, uh, and he's very, very skilled. Uh, so when you have a player like that, you've got 
good players across the board. And, and they played those games without Jalen Wilson, who has a chance to be, you know, if not their best player, one of their best players. Um, so I, I think Kansas has a lot to look forward to. You know, with guys like Ochai, it's interesting. I think this is sort of uh, maybe a byproduct of the way that we look at guys in terms of their NBA profiles. But with Ochai having been around for three years, I think a lot of times people fall into this sort of trap of saying, okay, we've we've seen three years of him. We kind of know who he is. This is this is who he is. And you sort of almost write off the idea that, you know, this guy as a 21, 22-year-old kid still has a, a lot of room for growth in his basketball career. I don't know how much time you spent thinking about Ochai and what kind of season he could have as a senior this past offseason. Were, were you surprised or have you been surprised with not just the leap that he's taken, but sort of the elements that he's added to his game here in his senior year. I wouldn't say surprised as much as you are sort of pleased. Um, you know, it's sort of an old school approach uh, or uh, of, of development. And look, we've been spoiled by so many players that come in and, you know, they're lottery picks right away uh, and play like it uh, when they're 18, 19 years old that are just, you know, super uh, developed talents. And, but, you know, when I played 30 years ago and, and 20 years ago, players, you know, they would, when they still stuck around, uh, you know, they graduate after playing four years of college and people talk about how, you know, how much they need to improve when they get to the NBA. And, and, you know, somehow that's, that idea has been lost, but I think you look at NBA rosters, you see a bunch of four year guys that, uh, you know, weren't ready, quote unquote, ready to, to contribute in the NBA earlier on in their college careers. There's no like, you know, egg timer on this or, or a clock on it. Um, and, and I don't know how this happened where it gets in people's mindsets. It certainly got into players that the longer you stick around, the less valuable you, the valuable you are, but that's certainly not true. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of Hall of Famer. Heck, Tim Duncan played for four years, didn't really set him back, didn't cost him any money. Um, so I think with, with a guy like Ochai and there are a number of other players out there like this, um, you know, as seniors, you know, he has added to his game. Like he's, he's a little more aggressive off the dribble, which I think he was capable of in years past, but didn't quite do it as much. Uh, but for some reason, when, when players become seniors, they, uh, you know, they tend to, to get even more focused. I don't know what that is, but, but it does happen. It's kind of become a draft night cliche when there is an upperclassman being selected. A lot of times the breakdown will be that he's old for his class compared to the 18, 19-year-old kids in that class. Why do you think that has become such a talking point for guys like Ochai, for those juniors or seniors who are making that decision whether or not to go or stay? And why do you think that's become such a prevalent part of the conversation with these guys trying to make those decisions? Because it's true. Um, you, you look, nobody's saying that that's not relevant. It's relevant. Uh, the, 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 what I was talking about is just because you stick around four years doesn't mean your development is done. Um, you know, now, now praising Ochai and talking about how good he is doesn't mean I would take him over Paolo Banquero or Chet Holmgren, mm. who are 18 years old. Um, the ceilings are different for some of these players. Those are two different things. And, and look, the flip side is true too. There are a lot of college coaches that, that, that talk about a player who, you know, hasn't done it yet, you know, maybe a sophomore saying, you know, he really should have been in high school last year. He's still really young. 
you know, so they talk about, you know, how good their development could be. So, you know, when you, when you're 18 versus 22, you know, as a 22 year old, you have shown a little bit more of who you are. That is, those, those things are true. It, it's just, you know, you don't want to take it to the extreme and have fans think somehow, you know, you, you had presented this, this to me as the fans, well, we know who he is, you know, that, and, right. and you, know, you can't always take fans for, for, for knowing what they're talking about, even though many of them are knowledgeable, not all of them are. Um, and it'd be like me, you know, trying to talk about football players. You know, I don't know football. I'm a fan. Um, and most people, you know, frankly, don't know basketball. They're fans. Um, so, you know, Ochai is going to play in the NBA. He's going to, he's going to have a good career, but that doesn't mean that, that, you know, you wouldn't look differently upon a super talented 18 year old, um, as far as what their ceiling is. I definitely didn't expect to see maybe the comfort level with him with the ball in his hands, how aggressive he's been driving. I mean, they're using him in pick and roll situations as the ball handler, which just wasn't something we saw a year ago. And you sort of put that next to the idea that Remy Martin was, you know, this all Pac-12 selection. He was thought of as being sort of this missing piece, preseason Big 12 player of the year that I think a lot of the expectation around these parts was that it was going to sort of be the Remy Martin show or Remy Martin's team. Where do you sort of see him fitting into this Kansas team that brings back four starters from a season ago? How do you expect that to sort of play out across the season? I don't know. It's it sort of got to be, it has to evolve. I mean, you know, Remy played at Arizona State. It's a totally different way of doing things. And, you know, he's going to have to defend at a higher level and he's going to have to help run an offense here and be a, uh, be a, a scoring guard that it's not going to be just about him and it's not going to be about him at the end of a clock. And I think he'll, he'll do very well there, but it's, it's a little bit of an adjustment. I mean, he's, uh, he's essentially like a very experienced freshman. He's not experienced in, in Kansas's way of doing things yet. And uh, he's more likely to pick it up quicker because he's been, uh, you know, he's been around the block a little bit. Um, but I, I think it, it adds some firepower that Kansas didn't have from the guard position last year. The, the only thing Kansas lacks is, is, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot different, uh, when you had a guy like Marcus Garrett, they can just put him on somebody and that guy's now shut off and, and they perhaps don't have that. Uh, but they're still really good. And, uh, and I think they have a, you know, they're, they're, I think they're significantly better than last year. Um, but they've got a, I think they've got a legitimate chance to, to knock on the final four door and, and knock it in. Is that question about Remy Martin and this team defensively trying to replace Marcus Garrett? Is that your biggest question about this team this year? Or if not, what is? Yeah, I think, I think defensively, you know, it, it's, you lose somebody like Marcus Garrett, you, you know, fans sometimes can take for granted, you know, having that game in and game out, you know, sort of that defensive presence. And, you know, he had a two time, uh, you know, I think he was two time Big 12 defensive player of the year and national player of the year once. So he's, he, he was a legit, kind of stopper and you know who's going to do that this year um and, and you don't have to you don't have to have somebody as good as marcus garrett but uh but you certainly have to have a defensive mindset you know you're not going to win a you're not going to win a title or win a big 12 title just by outscoring people you're gonna have to defend at a high level uh so yeah that would probably be the the biggest question and and what they're going to look like when they get you know when wilson is back and and uh and has been you know, fully integrated into everything. I, I think it's going to help in a big way. So there, there are a lot of good pieces there. 
at least in my lifetime, I don't think I've ever seen a season quite like last year where you had these two dominant teams sort of separating themselves from the pack virtually all year long. I know Michigan and Illinois sort of got into that conversation late, but for the majority of the season, it was Gonzaga and Baylor and everybody else. Do you expect this year to get back to normal, at least in the sense where there's not going to be a handful of teams that are dominating and presiding over the rest, or do you expect it to be uh, a little bit more evened out across the top of college basketball this year? Uh, I don't know what you mean by even. I mean, I think, you know, last year you had two extraordinary teams that, that could have both been, uh, I guess without the pandemic, they would have they would have played each other early on. But, you know, you're looking at teams that, that were, there, there were only a handful of teams that could even approach beating them. And, uh, and really it turned out to be only each other. Um, you know, Gonzaga was undefeated until the title game and, and absent of the game they had that they were supposed to play, what, in November, December, that got knocked out because of COVID. I think it was in Indianapolis. Um, you know, the only, I think the only reason Baylor lost any games was because of COVID. I mean, I remember Kansas mm-hmm. beat them in Allen Fieldhouse right after, you know, right after they had that COVID bout. And it wasn't like they just had a positive test and a bunch of quarantining. They're, they're, they're just about their whole team got it and knocked them sideways. And I did that Kansas game and said, you know, I said on the air, like, this isn't the Baylor team that, that has played the rest of the year. I mean, they're clearly compromised. And I remember taking a bunch of heat from Kansas fans and, you know, saying, hey, we're better. You know, we won. I'm like, no, not that simple. Sorry. Um, <laughs> they're better than you. You won, but they're better. Um, and, and, but, you know, this year, I don't know that there are teams that are, kind of head and shoulders above everybody else like Baylor and Gonzaga, but Gonzaga and UCLA are very good. I've seen both of them. Um, and, and there are other very good teams, but, but I would be surprised if you had the kind of separation where it was obvious, you know, uh, with Gonzaga and Baylor last year. I don't, I don't think we'll see that kind of separation this year. I don't want to make this some sort of existential question about what it's going to mean to have fans back in buildings, but after going through, a season like we went like last year. Maybe this is a weird way to ask it, but is it going to be weird having fans back in the arenas? We went through a full season where most of these places were at half capacity and all offseason. We've heard coaches and players talk about how excited they are to get back to some normalcy in college basketball. What do you think that's going to be like for you once we get back to these games with these great college basketball venues. And once again, they are packed to the brim full of fans. What's that going to be like? I don't think so. I think last year felt weird. So, um, you know, look, I, I, am I getting used to wearing a mask on a plane now uh, where that, you know, a year ago or two years ago, that seemed like torture. Yeah, I'm used to it now. Um, but when it, you know, when the mask comes off on a plane, which I'm hopeful it will in the very near future, I'm not going to say, oh, this is weird. I don't, you know, I'm not sure I can handle this. I'll be <laughs> celebrating it. And, you know, same thing with fans back in the stands. I mean, you know, the, the first time uh, I was in an arena with fans and it was uh, Madison Square Garden and it, w- it was like two years ago. Um, and that's great. Um, I loved every minute of it. And I, I wasn't thinking, I, I didn't look around thinking, uh, you know, oh, last year was so different. Uh, I just enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And, uh, and I think, uh, I think that's what you know, I had a game last night in Houston. It was fantastic. Um, and, and I'll have, uh, you know, going to Vegas for, uh, the Maui. Now that'll be weird having the Maui invitational yeah. in, in, uh, in Las Vegas, but, 
assuming, you know, it's, it's as normal as the, uh, uh, the arenas I've been in so far, I, I think, I think it'll be a blast. Um, yeah, I'm hopeful that this keeps trending the way it's trending and, uh, and we'll be kind of really back to normal instead of feeling more back to normal. But, uh, you know, we'll just deal with it as it comes and appreciate what we have. So the Maui Invitational in Vegas, does that mean no Bill Walton shirtless endeavors for you this year? How's that work? I mean, that that's what I hope for all the time is that Walton keeps his shirt on. But, <laughs> um, like, you know, I've always been a Vegas for two or three days guy, and I got to be there for 10 days Oof. because of the Maui Invitational and then get back at Duke. So uh, I'm not too geeked up about 10 days there. Uh, but I'll I'll do my best to behave myself and see if I can get out of there in one piece. Stay safe, Jay. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay, great stuff there from Jay Billis. Uh, before we get out of here, I do want to talk a little bit about a question and a topic of conversation that I have heard pop up a lot over the past week or so. And I, I think it's the silliest thing ever, but it is worth addressing. I, if, if nothing else, I, I'm not trying to... Uh, denigrate anybody who's having these conversations. I, I want you to try and view things through a different lens because I think it will assist in how you sort of uh, observe Kansas basketball and college basketball in general. Jalen Wilson, uh, after Stony Brook, is going to return to the Kansas lineup. And the one question and the one conversation I've heard pop up so much over the past week or two is, what's going to happen to the starting rotation once Jalen Wilson comes back? Does Christian Brown go to the bench? Does Jalen Wilson start on the bench? What about Dewan Harris? Listen, I don't know. I, I have my guesses, but I don't care. And neither should you. Now, maybe this is me sort of drinking the Bill Self Kool-Aid because he will tell you over and over and over again how much it doesn't matter who starts the game. It matters who finishes I'm not going to take it quite that far because I think, you know, like some things do matter. And like if you're in the business of what I'm in, like I have time to fill here. So I'm not just doing it to fill time and I'm not just doing it to tell everybody that they're wrong or to say that Bill Self is right. What I am telling you is that they're all going to play. Like we know who one through six in some form or fashion for this KU rotation is going to be. Dewan Harris, Remy Martin, they're going to play. They're going to be your two lead guards. Christian Brown, Ochai Baji, they're going to play. They're going to be your two lead wings. Jalen's going to be that stretch four. You want to lump him in as a wing, that's fine. And obviously, we know David McCormick is going to be your starting big. Mitch Lightfoot, going to be the first big off the bench. I mean, I thought in the preseason, I, I would have told anybody who asked me that Cam Martin was going to be the first big off the bench, and now he's not going to play this year. He looked a little lost in that game versus Emporia State. That's fine. The jump from Juco to, uh, or not Juke, I guess it's technically Division Two. to uh, uh, Big Boy Power 5 basketball. Yeah, probably a little bit more than he was anticipating, but that's fine. Maybe he'll be that guy next season. So we know Mitch is going to be the first big off the bench. At least I'm not going to be the one to sit here and say that a sixth-year senior, is it six or seven? I think it's six, is going to be usurped by uh, a freshman in Zach Clements or K.J. Adams, for that matter. So that's really one through seven. You can convince yourself that Bill Self is going to play a 10-man rotation this year. I've tried to do that several times. Like, there have been years where I look at the roster and I say, okay, you know, this roster's pretty deep this year. Maybe this will be the year they go 10 deep. It never happens. I'm like, seriously, never happens. So, best case scenario, you go nine. 
Now, by the time you get to March, by the time you're playing in the NCAA tournament, you'll be lucky to get to eight. Like we always talk about depth as being a luxury. Depth is a luxury when you're trying to figure out what your rotation is going to be. Depth is a luxury when you encounter injuries. Depth is a luxury when you get into foul trouble. But the idea that KU is going to get into the games that matter in conference play or in the NCAA tournament and go nine or ten deep every night, it just never, ever happens. So we know, for the most part, who one through seven is going to be on this team. What we're basically asking is, between Bobby Pettiford, Joe Yesefu, 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 KJ Adams, Zach Clements, like one of those guys will firmly be a part of the rotation. One of those guys will play sparingly, and two of them are are going to be like situational players. And as my, as much as I as I think that I I know who those guys might be. I mean, Jalen Coleman lands has played 11 minutes per game through the first two. He's a shooter. Uh, looks like he can sort of play a little bit of defense. I don't know. That wasn't exactly the scouting report on him coming into Kansas, so not willing to go that far. Pettiford's the one that's a little bit surprising because after knowing that Remy Martin and Dewan Harris were going to play a lot, I, I wasn't really sure how you're going to manufacture minutes for this freshman, but Bill Self was talking him up. In the preseason, he called him the next great Kansas point guard. Now, I don't think he's going to be that guy this year, but the early returns on Bobby Pettiford have been great. And if the idea is going to play four guards, which I think it's going to be all year, uh, maybe all of a sudden there is a role for this kid, a significant role for this kid. 28 minutes played through two games. Uh, That would suggest he's a part of this rotation. Now it's two games and a lot can change. I think that's what the early part of the season is going to be. I mean, I'm looking at the KU schedule right now, and uh, I mean, between now and the start of conference play on January 1st, KU plays two games ranked inside the top 100, according to Kim Palm right now. That's St. John's and Colorado. And yes, KU does play Missouri in that span. Missouri lost to UMKC. They're ranked 118th in Ken Palm. So... There's your Mizzou dig. You didn't think I was going to go through three episodes without getting a dig. I mean, come on. Obviously, you have to make the reference. UMKC, Rue Up, hashtag Rue Up. Maybe that'll be the title of this episode. So that's what you get to learn over the next month and a half. It's not about what, you know, Ochai's going to do. Ochai's going to be great. Remy's going to be great. Yes, there's the meshing and the fitting in and, and figuring out how this offense is going to run. That's great. You're going to use this time against games in which KU is going to be the favorite in every single one of them to sort of figure out roles and figure out the meshing and the chemistry, and that's all great. But what I'm really going to be focused in on is the end of that rotation because there's a lot of guys who have had their moments early on this season battling for just a couple of spots. I mean, the most electric stretch of basketball we've seen from any of those guys was arguably Zach Clements in that game versus Michigan State. He scored like seven points in what was that, two or three minutes? It was incredible. And then he didn't play at all versus Tarleton State. I was convinced that Joe Yesifu might be a starter on this team, and he can hardly get on the court. So your guess is as good as mine as to what this rotation is going to look like. I would generally think playing defense, being able to put the ball in the deck, create for others, like that's going to lend itself well to finding a way into this rotation. And in the case of Jalen Coleman-Lands, if you can just be the best shooter on the team, yeah, that might be good enough as well. 
Stony Brook, the Seawolves, Thursday night inside the Fieldhouse. I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of takeaways from that one for you next week. Waving the Wheat Podcast. You can now subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also listen on the Odyssey app or pretty much anywhere else you find your podcast. It's a good place to end it. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.